dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. Welcome back for another edition of Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. So thankful for all of you to join us. My next guest runs one of the leading multi-state operators, ushering cannabis and fierce. He's a fierce public advocate for cannabis decriminalization and legalization. He believes the correlation between ending prohibition and legalizing cannabis is undeniable. And we, we have mentioned a lot about the possibilities of legalization being something that could be triggered right now as a result of the coronavirus pandemic that we have been dealing with now going on three and a half months as I record this program today. And we're looking at the idea of this and the idea, the, the concept of the prohibition of alcohol in the 1920s and the correlation to what it, where it is now is exactly said. And that's why I'm glad to have our guest. He's a return guest to the network. Chris Crane, founder and president of Four Front Ventures. That's number four Front Ventures. Chris, thanks for joining us here on Blunt Business. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hey, really wonderful to have you back on. We have talked about how cannabis legalization now would serve as a means to end to the end of the current economic disaster we're currently facing. Now, your team provided a couple of points to support this argument, and I want to point those out and have you speak about those. Number one, cannabis is the only industry paying taxes to the government at this time. Generating revenue otherwise lost due to COVID once passed, the tax revenue can be used for more initiative that benefits the very communities who've been impacted by the pandemic. The second point was the timing is right. It is an election year and governments profit from the revenue yet continue to treat it as an illicit drug. And third point, the benefits of cannabis are far more than just tax revenue. The industry's job creation is on track to double, if not triple, once legalization has passed, thus employing a sizable percentage of people who have recently lost their jobs. Now, how would you persuade policymakers, Chris, that the time is now to legalize and how it's important that state government and regulators take cannabis more seriously? Well, I, I, look, we, we are facing, uh, as a result of this pandemic um, and, and, and other forces, we are facing uh, an economic downturn, the likes of which we haven't seen since the Great Depression. Uh, governments across the country are going to be facing uh, major financial uh, budget shortfalls, uh, particularly at the state level where uh, they can't rely on uh, debt spending the way that the federal government can, but even at the federal level. Um, and legalizing cannabis and collecting tax revenue, registration fees, uh, and the like um, is a great way for governments to uh, provide new jobs to people who desperately need them uh, and to provide uh, much needed revenue to their state coffers. Um, I can't think of a, a better time uh, for us to be looking at cannabis legalization right now. And I think the very fact that virtually every single state in which cannabis is legal has deemed it an essential service uh, during uh, during this pandemic, including at the, in the early days when the when the shutdown orders were, were quite severe, um, really shows that the that, that it, it's it's just simply indefensible for governments, including the federal government, to continue to uh, to, to classify cannabis as a an illegal Schedule One substance. Uh, with no recognized medicinal benefit and high potential for abuse, while other states are saying that it is essential 
because uh, because of the jobs it provides, the tax revenue it provides, uh, and because of the many many patients uh, who benefit from it, from from the use of cannabis. One of the other things I also think about is. Obviously, we've had the battle where there's only so much lobbying power and so much capital is being brought in uh, by different organizations to help support and boost and, and really uphold the cannabis industry in a positive light in front of policymakers. But the other area I have to think about is the financial sector. The fact that we're trying to see, I mean, there is only so much data that we have in terms of where, you know, if, if certain Canadian uh, companies or CSE exchange stocks and seeing how the parallel manner that you see the increase of growth after the pandemic and the fact that we need to see other sectors have a chance to grow. If we're not going to rely on the banks, we're not going to rely on, you know, uh, biotech or we're not going to rely on tech or other areas. Why not cannabis be a sector that Wall Street gets behind? Do you think that Wall Street might actually get behind this now and actually help to lobby on behalf of the cannabis industry? I mean, if they if they know what's good for them, they certainly should. Uh, this 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 uh, legalization would be a, a boom for 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 not just for Wall Street, but but for the you know for the investment community writ large. I mean, the the, the sad reality right now is that uh, you know American companies seeking capital uh, generally are going to Canada to get listed on exchanges like the like the CSC, the Canadian Securities Exchange. Um, where, where we are listed and where most of the MSOs in the space are listed um, because we cannot access the, uh, the institutional capital system here in the United States. Um, meanwhile, our, our counterparts up in Canada, uh, the, the larger operators, uh, larger Canadian operators, uh, are able to go to the, the Dow and the NASDAQ and the exchanges here in the United States um, to access American capital, which is flowing up into Canada. So by maintaining federal prohibition of cannabis, especially at a time like this, we are literally ceding control of what should be the next great American industry to the Canadians. And I, I, I think that's, you know, I think that's to the, to the detriment of, uh, of, of numerous uh, people and institutions across the United States. Um, and that includes investors, uh, you know, the investor community and, and the Wall Street community and the institutional investment community. As we've been looking at the pandemic, obviously there are those that are on the side that are looking to try to go and find therapeutics, find a vaccine to try to get us out of this. But people are very hesitant to reopen the economy. But then there's the other side where the cannabis argument lies, where it is an economical argument to help boost things up. But here's what I have to ask is, you know, is there a way for us to go ahead as the industry? Can we also make the claim or can we do anything? Is there any kind of research at all that says Cannabis could do something. It uh, can be also be a possible therapeutic or some kind of an effect. Is there anything out there that can say, hey, not only is it an economical benefit, it's also a medical benefit to help those in this pandemic with the conditions they might be getting from COVID-19 or something similar? What do you say? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really hesitant to go down that road. Right. Um, there isn't any evidence at this point that cannabis is beneficial to, to in the treatment of COVID. No, I'm not saying, um, and here's what I want to, I want to preface that because I'm not trying to say that there is. I'm just saying, should we go down that route and try to find something tangible that supports that argument? Well, look, I, I, <laughs> there is so much need for more research around cannabis as a, as a therapeutic uh, substance and as a medicine in general. Uh, and it's, I mean, frankly, it's, it's criminal, the fact that um, we have blocked the, the ability for, uh, you know, scientists and doctors to do research on cannabis for so many years in this country. Um, and so, 
you know, I, I think in my mind, this fits with uh, just the broader need for us to open up access to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to research around cannabis and cannabinoid therapies in general. Um, you know, not even not even specifically as it pertains to COVID. Is it is it possible that there are some you know, potential benefits for the treatment of COVID or COVID related illnesses from from cannabis and cannabinoids? Of course, it's possible, um, but we have no idea. And part of the reason we don't know is because we're not doing the research. Um, you know, that said, we, we we should not make any claims. And I am you know I'm I'm, I'm uh, sensitive to this. You know, there are companies out there that have made claims that their CBD products can help cure COVID or help prevent COVID. Uh, I think that's wildly irresponsible right. uh, of companies to be making claims like that without scientific evidence to back that up. Um, even if they may believe they have some anecdotal evidence, um, you know, that that's not that's not real scientific evidence. Um, so, you know, I don't want to go too far with this, and certainly don't support anybody making claims along those lines. That said, we need to be opening up avenues to cannabis uh, therapeutic research. Uh, we need to be not just opening up avenues to it and not stopping the uh, uh, preventive research as the government has done um, for the past 50 plus years. Um, we need to be investing heavily in, uh, in, in looking at cannabis as a, a, a cannabis research and cannabis as therapeutic uh, treatment for a variety of substances. Um, we should be investing millions or billions of dollars into cannabis research in this country um, just based on the uh, evidence that we have to date about cannabis's anti-inflammatory properties, uh, about its, uh, its, its anti-nausea properties, uh, and, and even potentially as, as a therapy for uh, you know, cancer treatments, a potential alternative to chemotherapy. There's lots of early stage studies that show that there may be some benefit there. It's not to say that cannabis is a cure for cancer, but no. there are enough, you know, there's, there's enough out there at the early stages that we need to be putting money into this to see uh, just how beneficial this plant really can be. And I know there's a lot of struggle to try to get the money and try to get the product just to be allowed. I mean, just when it comes to the FDA and what they're being allowed to do in terms of research for hemp or for other uh, materials, it's becoming it just it, there's an overwhelming battle to try to get the kind of research that could support something like this. And again, that's a it might, I'm giving something that's a complete hypoth hypothetical. I know this is not even within the realm, but I just like to think that, you know, I'm trying to think what the policymakers would want to think. Like, I mean, if I had to talk to them, I'm going to say, listen, there's overwhelming evidence on so many different levels that cannabis should be legalized at this time as such a dire point of our economical, uh, you know, health. It would be a great point to have. That's just where I'm coming from with that. But I appreciate you uh, answering that for me because I know that's not the, that's not the easiest way to go around it. I'm just trying to think, you know, trying to be just – constructive trying to think where we can we go with this but anyway let's go and take a quick break i got more to talk to you about there's a great article you wrote in forbes i want to go and point that out for listeners it's called it's titled cannabis legalization is key to economic recovery much like ending alcohol prohibition helped us out of the great depression we're going to ask you some questions about the article you wrote out for forbes and talk more with chris crane founder and president of forefront ventures here on blunt business after a short break Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. 
plant profits. I'm Vern Davis, and I'd like to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. We call them the plant profits. Each week on Plant Profits, we talk to the people at the forefront of the industry, creating real companies and career opportunities. We'll learn from the people leading the charge into the promised land of profit. Plant Profits is powered by Protus Global, people solutions firm that has been building companies, changing lives since 1995. P-R-O-T-I-S Global. Find Plant Profits now at CannabisRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back with Chris Crane, founder and president of Forefront Ventures here on Blunt Business. You wrote for Forbes a recent article, I prefaced that just before the break, titled Cannabis Legalization is Key to Economic Recovery, Much Like Ending Alcohol Prohibition Helped Us Out of the Great Depression. Now, here's what you wrote. Uh, Take a quick passage. Quote, the situation is reminiscent of what the country faced during the Great Depression nearly 100 years ago. At that time, one of the government's solutions was to end its 13-year experiment with alcohol prohibition. Today, the very same factors that caused the government to pull the plug on alcohol prohibition should result in the final nail in the coffin of the country's much longer-standing but equally unjust policy of marijuana prohibition. End quote. Now, again, we have a lot of factors, Chris, paralleling the reopening ongoing as a result of it being an election year. And you mentioned that in one of the points I mentioned before the break. Now, do you feel like this is a subject that could be used as a bargaining chip for the election? Or are we going to have to wait till 2021 to see who is left around to lobby for support? Because right now things are so volatile when it comes to, you know, social, uh, cultural issues, systemic, institutional injustices we can talk about. And just the coronavirus itself, is there just too much on the plate for policymakers to even look at cannabis legalization as a thought? Well, I, th- I think it's, it's unlikely that we see it uh, before uh, the end of this year. Um, you know, Congress is barely meeting at all right now because of the pandemic. And so there are some, you know, some political realities that we have to contend with. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's very rare that Congress passes anything even remotely controversial during election year. So we probably are looking at this as a 2021 issue. Um, that said, I think there would be tremendous benefit to either candidate, either tr- uh, President Trump or uh, or Vice President B- Biden, uh, to champion legalization as part of their 20 uh, sorry their 2020 uh, campaign. I actually wrote an article about two years ago uh, laying out the political case for why President Trump should support 
uh, legalization uh, for his own political benefit. Um, and I think everything I wrote in that article still stands today. Um, you know, I don't think that he risks losing any political support by uh, supporting legalization. His base is pretty firmly with him. They haven't left him despite you know, all number of controversies. I don't think they're going to leave him if he supports legalization. Um, but there are young voters in particular who are not very enthusiastic about Joe Biden um, who are winnable uh, on this issue. Um, you know, in particular, you look at states in a state like Arizona, uh, which is going to have legalization on the ballot this year, where there's likely going to be young people that turn out to vote for legalization. And, you know, unfortunately, Joe Biden uh, in his career traditionally has been pretty terrible on this issue. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember back when I was, you know, when I was uh, working at Normal in the early 2000s, I mean, we had we had two real political enemies on the Democratic side of the aisle, um, at least in the Senate, and it was Joe Biden and Dianne Feinstein. Um, you know, he, he's traditionally been pretty bad on this. And so this would give Trump a way to put some real daylight between himself and Biden. And you know, conversely, Biden has, to his credit, moved quite a bit uh, in his position on uh, drug policy and marijuana policy. Right? He used to be a, 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 just a, a firm hawk, and now he supports at least decriminalization and medical marijuana and allowing states to make up their own mind. If he were to go one step further and, and, and support legalization before the president does, um, he could similarly win over many of these young, those young voters, particularly many of the young voters that were enthusiastic supporters of Bernie Sanders in the primary who are not coming over to the Biden side um, statistically. So there is real political benefit for both candidates to do this and very little to no political downside. Uh, and whichever one chooses to, and I'm, I'm skeptical that either will, but if either of them chooses to do so before the election, they stand to benefit, I think, greatly in terms of their electoral prospects. And now I want to bring this point across. Now, we uh, on the Facebook page for Cannabis Radio, I've had the chance to go and put out a couple of different stories where Biden has expressed his thoughts on cannabis uh, legalization. So originally back May 19th, Vox.com reported that Biden said he supports the federal decriminalization of marijuana. I know Chuck Schumer said the same thing, maintaining fines but do away with prisoner jail time. But that's not enough. And it also says he would be, remains opposed to full legalization, removing all penalties and typically allow sales for recreational purposes. And then he justified his stance, and I'm going to pull that up real quick from the growth op. And he also said that he his thing, he justified saying he knows a lot of weed smokers. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. But decriminalization, not legalization. No one should be going to jail for drug crime, period. Nobody, nobody. But my thing is this, and this is radical. And I know some people are not going to be happy when I say this, but again, I'm not, I, I keep this show as apolitical as possible. And I am an independent. I do not support either political party that they even put as a Democrat or Republican. I don't believe in those terms. And I can see where there's certain times, uh, certain areas, and certain political structures where I can maybe take certain things out of particular political uh, platforms and agree with. But if we had, per se, Trump wins the White House once again, reelected. State and somebody, the House of Representatives and the Senate are Republican controlled. If you have that full majority to go and have that full 60 seat majority or a full majority in the House, and A.G. Barr has said states' rights would be something that he would support. Trump has said if the bills are in front of it, he would consider it, he would probably consider signing it. Would that be the direction, even though I know a lot of people do not feel good about this, but for the sake of the industry, would that be something we would want in 2021 where cannabis could then be put on for uh, debate and could be put up for, for a vote? 
I think if, if, and, and look, I say this irrespective of my own political beliefs, Correct. Um, so, yeah. sim similar to yourself, uh, I, just looking at the, look, looking at this, uh, objectively, I think the worst case scenario for legalization is probably what you just described. It would be the Republicans taking the house, holding the Senate and the white house. Yeah. Um, and frankly, if the Republicans hold the Senate, regardless of what happens with the house and the, and, and the white house, uh, the chances for meaningful uh, reform outside of something like safe banking. Safe banking, I think, has a chance no matter what. Right. Um, but the, but the, the, the prospects for meaningful reform, if Republicans can maintain control of the Senate, is very slim. Uh, and I say that because uh, there is a real divide right now in the Republican Party, which doesn't really exist in the Democratic Party anymore. It did, um, but not so much anymore. Uh, and it's an age divide. Um, Republicans under the age of 45 or so are quite supportive of legalization. Republicans over the age of 55 and certainly over the age of 60 uh, are not at all supportive. And Republican leadership in the Senate is pretty septuagenarian. Um, Mitch McConnell has, in, yeah. has indicated uh, no support for legalization. In fact, he's been pretty steadfast in his opposition other than industrial hemp um, and maybe, maybe supporting safe banking, although the chances of him supporting safe banking in 2021 get, uh, get, are lowered if Cory Gardner uh, loses his seat, and he's currently down by a, a, a very wide margin in the polls. Um, so if Cory yeah. Gardner is no longer there, and he's not worried about Gardner losing his seat, we probably lose uh, a, 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 a pr the prospect of, of safe banking, or at least the chances go down there. So mm. uh, unfortunately, I just don't see a scenario where the, Repub the Republicans control all three, uh, all, you know, both houses and, and the White House. I think the chances for meaningful cannabis reform are extremely slim. Yeah, because I mean, the one thing I would, uh, uh, just thinking, my whole point of that is just the thought, do we need to have an overwhelming um, cohesive unit on all three branches in order to get cannabis passed if it finally gets brought to a vote? Because right now there's we, just well, so much division <laughs> we, we on might. both sides. <laughs> You're, you're right. We, we might need that, but unfortunately, uh, it, it, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on where you stand, it probably has to be the Democrats controlling all three branches. Um, if, if that's the case, if Joe Biden wins and the Democrats take the Senate, uh, which, I mean, just looking at the, at the, at the polling right now is, mm -hmm. is increasingly likely, um, although, I mean, by no means a sure thing, and we're still right. way far away from the election. If that happens, I think the prospects of uh, some form of federal legalization or meaningful cannabis reform in 2021 or 2022 is very high. Yeah. And I say that despite the fact that Joe Biden, as I've acknowledged, has traditionally been awful on this issue. Um, the, the reality, though, is that Biden, uh, Biden, if he's if he's one thing, it's he's very good at figuring out where the center of the Democratic Party is. Right. Not necessarily the center of politics, but the center of the Democratic Party. Uh, and yeah. the center of the Democratic Party is very much there on legalization, which it was not when Obama was elected in 2008. Uh, their time in the wilderness um, during the Trump administration uh, has really moved them progressively in favor of legalization. And Biden will put people around him who, who are going to want to implement the, you know, the, the, the will of the center of the Democratic Party. Um, and even more importantly, uh, House Democrats and even Senate, Senate Democrats, to a lesser degree, are very much there on this issue now. 
they understand this issue a lot better than they did when, yeah. when I was involved in lobbying them in you know, 2008, 2009. Um, they are passionate about this issue in a way that they were not 10 years ago. And I, I feel fairly confident that a Democratic-controlled House and Senate will send a bill to the president's desk. And I cannot foresee a situation in which uh, a President Biden would veto that kind of legislation, even if he personally doesn't love it. Right. Okay. Now, I like where you're going with that, but here's the thing now. Which bill will it be? Because we know we've seen several bills. We've seen Elizabeth Warren with Cory Gardner on the state sack. Cory, uh, Cory Booker has also put his own bill, and there have been others. So you, re- you quoted a recent study by New Frontier Data in the Forbes article that national legalization could result in $128.8 billion in tax revenue and an estimated 1.6 million new jobs. So, quote, indeed, the numbers from states with legal cannabis during this health and economic crisis back up these claims, even at a time of economic downturn unprecedented since the Great Depression. Cannabis sales remain robust in states where they are legal, quote. But when you look at what politicians have had said they would support, we have the state side, like I said, full legalization, and we can still look at Canada as an example as to how well and how effective it has been. And we can also look at what if it's done anything right now in terms of the economic recovery in that country. But what do you think will be the most viable path? Would it be that or just some form of decriminalization? What do you think would be the best path to get passage? Or do we want something or do you prefer something more one over the other? So I actually I think that what we ultimately would get, and if we're talking here about you know, Democratic-controlled uh, government, uh, so Democratic House, Senate, and presidency, um, I think what we ultimately get is a bill that doesn't exist right now, mm-hmm. um, because you know really the, the bills, the States Act, the Moore Act, um, I forget uh, what, what uh, uh, Booker and, and Schumer's bills uh, are called, but right. you know all of these are being introduced at a time when they know that none of them are actually going to pass and become law. Right. And so what happens in a situation like this is you're trying to jockey for position, put policy ideas out there, get the debate going. But if you find yourself in a situation where you can actually get something passed, then people are really going to come to the table and craft something that they, that they want to see. It's very reminiscent, actually, of what happened here in Illinois, where I currently live, um, where for the, the past few years, before 2019, um, there were legalization bills introduced in the legislature for, I think, four or five years before that. But they knew they were never going to pass when Governor Rauner was in power. As soon as Rauner was voted out and Pritzker was voted in, um, we got a new bill, a bill that looked different than the ones that had been introduced prior because yeah. now a bill could pass and that's what wound up happening. That said, I do think that the model for the bill would like will likely be the Moore Act, um, not the States Act. I think the States Act, I don't think the States Act could pass the House of Representatives today um, because I, I think it would have near, near unanimous uh, disapproval from the Congressional Black Caucus, um, who is, is very much opposed to the States Act because... Uh, it does not address issues of social equity uh, and racial justice in the cannabis industry, and that and and, and that, that that voting block in particular in, in the House um, is much better educated and much better informed, thanks to organizations like the Minority Cannabis Business Association um, about these issues. And so the States Act is kind of a non-starter. And if the Democrats control everything, I can't see that being the basis for a bill. I think it's probably the Moore Act, uh, which is a much more comprehensive legalization bill that does address issues of. Uh, racial justice and social equity. Um, there's a companion bill introduced in the Senate uh, by Kamala Harris, who, who knows she might be the vice president next year. McCory um, Booker's on board with that one as well. Um, so I think that's likely the the basis for the bill, even if the final bill looks looks quite a bit different than the current version or current incarnation of the Moore Act. 
Okay, and the more act is the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, H.R. 3884, which uh, Kermala Harris is sponsor of. And I actually do agree with the fact that if uh, Vice President Biden decides to pick a running mate, I'm starting to see, and I've been reading more than anything, that I think Kamala Harris is getting primed. and She's getting polished up right now uh, to become that candidate. I think that would be who gets the opportunity, and I think having her as you know and leading the the house representatives uh if there's needing to be a, that kind of extra vote that she would be able to go ahead and put a lot of influence into getting that bill put in place um but then again i'm trying to think you know it's it's trying to weigh both because i've also seen the same way where there are some uh people out there that think that the cannabis reform bill would not make it to the senate in the same way the states that could not pass the house there's been that kind of talk as well but you know, it's it's nice to speculate, and that's all we can pretty much do. We're like stock stock speculators here, hoping for something here. We have some bills with some tangible, some real teeth on it. Again, like we said, probably some they're probably not going to go ahead and be able to get any kind of passage right now. But I just think that right now, overall, we have to probably wait till twenty twenty one to see what happens here. But it'd be nice. Yeah, I mean, so much so much hinges on what happens in November. Exactly. Well. And we can only we got a few more. What are like another hundred and thirty some odd days, I guess, to election day. So we'll wait for that. I want to talk to you next coming up after the break. I want to talk to you about some of the issues when it comes to the uh, Black Lives Matter movement and some of the issues that were going on within how some businesses were being affected as a result of systemic and institutional injustices. We'll talk about that with Chris Crane, founder and president of Forefront Ventures. Um, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really one toke over the line. I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hem Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Empire, a show dedicated to exploring the many potential therapeutic uses of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of healing and now making a heroic comeback. Cannabis has the potential to promote health and well-being, bring the body back to homostasis, 
and foster recovery for a healthier way of living. Hempire focuses on a diverse range of serious health issues, presenting views ranging from those of patients and their loved ones through those of researchers and medical professionals. Welcome to Hempire. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back with Chris Crane, founder and president of Forefront Ventures. Uh, website you want to go take a look at while we're uh, looking at things. It's the number four frontventures.com. And uh, you can also find stock on the OTC under the, uh, under the uh, acronym FFNTF. Go and look for that there. So, Chris, I want to go and ask you now, Chicago Sun-Times reported the story that the city's Mission Dispensary South Shore was destroyed and three others were targeted recently. Now, you are Mission's president, and you reported the weed maps that the shop staff, 90% of whom are people of color, closed the dispensary when they saw that neighboring stores were starting to be ransacked. Now, you wrote on Facebook that your team got out safely before minutes it was, before it was targeted by 40 to 50 men and women, some armed. Everything of value was taken, and the store was mostly destroyed. Uh, uh, really interesting. I uh, want to hear what, what you said about this quote that you gave to the uh, Chicago Sun-Times. Quote, despite the sadness and destruction, my support for the protests and the underlying goal of ending produce police brutality, systemic law enforcement reform, and societal recognition of the fundamental humanity of people of color in this country remains undeterred. So I want to give you a few minutes to go ahead and expand on that quote that you made point of. Yeah, so you know, unfortunately, we we were looted at our at our store here on the south side of Chicago, um, and uh, it was it was fairly bad. We're still closed. We're looking at reopening um, sometime in late July, uh, working as hard as we can to get reopened for that for, for to, to continue to serve our, our community there. Um, but uh, you know, I, I just wanted folks to know, and this is you know, this is my personal view of things. Uh, you know, not necessarily speaking as a company spokesman, mm-hmm. although. Um, you know, I think the, the views of our, of our staff, particularly at South Shore, are, in this, are, are very well known and, and in line. Um, but you know, what happened at our store was not was not a result, a direct result of the protests. The people that uh, that broke into the store were not protesters. It was organized. It was targeted. Um, there were no protests going on in the neighborhood that we're in at that time. Um, it was opportunists uh, that we believe were gang affiliated. Um, that targeted our store, that targeted other dispensaries around this around the city, knowing that law enforcement was uh, was preoccupied with the protests and unlikely to respond. Um, it was about uh, thirty or forty people or so showed up all at one time. Most of them in packed cars. Um, so this was targeted, um, and unfortunately for too many people out there, they see these activities of destruction um, and and vandalism and theft and think that they are somehow related to the protests or uh, the goals of the protesters. And, and, you know, many of the folks that work in our store are uh, activists uh, here within the, within the community. Uh, uh, and, and many of them are activists for, uh, for racial justice, uh, for, for legalization. Um, many of them have been out in the streets protesting themselves. And, you know, we, we, we did not want to, uh, we did not want what happened to us to detract from the really important message that was happening in the streets at that time. Um, we didn't want the story to be about the fact that we were looted. We wanted the story to be about uh, the need for police reform and, and racial justice. Um, and so I thought it was, I just thought it was important to, to put my thoughts out there to the world um, and let them know that, you know, we're not looking at ourselves as a victim here. We're not the story here. Uh, nobody was hurt. 
everything that was lost can be rebought. Everything that was destroyed can be rebuilt. Um, and, uh, and that we are, you know, we are, our resolve um, and my resolve uh, for these underlying issues is unchanged by, by the, the incident. Now, I want to bring up this point, and I, I, pre- that I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I, I, can, I totally can understand what you're saying. But here's what I think about as well, because we also know it's not just uh, the mission that was also targeted. We also know that opportunists, which you said it correctly, um, you know, there were other robberies and looting that targeted cannabis retailers during the recent nationwide protests over the death of George Floyd. And that upended the marijuana supply chain in several markets, at least for the near future. So it, it took an effect, not just it, it really if they did it in other markets. But now, um, Green Entrepreneur explained this, quote, the shuttering of damaged retail stores is slowing or stopping altogether the flow of sales for producers and processors in some markets, which can lead to a stockpile of product and failing holes and falling wholesale cannabis prices. So while you eloquently support, you know, for the protests and the underlying goal of ending police brutality, systemic law enforcement reform and the societal recognition of the fundamental humanity of people of color in this country, which Again, I know there are systemic and institutional injustices, is what I say. But I will continue to say it's not a, a racial component. I think it's a status component. That's why I feel with that. But the thing is also, I think that the targeting, you know, I don't look at so much the opportunities as, you know, they're just following along and taking advantage. But obviously, I think the movement is losing, the, the, the movement and whoever, and the media itself, which I'm already a big staunch cynicist when it comes to how the, how corporate media handles things. I don't like the way that their narrative is being put out there. And I don't like the fact that the, the people that should be called into account are the civic leaders and the politicians that are not doing anything about this. Because I think that the real issue that should be um, of contention should be the people that are you know asking for tax dollars for you to put, and put your business there in the South Shore. Uh, why Chicago PD wasn't able to go and respond to it and you know, also, it was this Chicago PD being handicapped from being doing that. Are they not able to go in and do their proper enforcement? Or, you know, I mean, your local alderman, what do you think should be the solution from the business owner's perspective? Well, look, I mean, in this case, it's it's hard to blame the Chicago police for, for what happened. There were massive protests in the streets, uh, protests of which I supported. Yeah. Um, and when there's massive protests in the streets, right, it requires law enforcement um, to patrol it. Now, I don't think that law enforcement responded appropriately to the protest, but that's yeah. a whole other issue. Um, but you are going to have a large number of, of, of police officers that are out in the streets watching the protests. And so um, it creates a situation where the where the police department is short staffed when it comes to responding to other things. Also, there were looting, there was looting going on all over the city. And yeah. so in, in addition to having to just, just watch the protests, which is all they should have been doing, just watching the protests or not joining them, yeah. um, uh, they, you know, they also were responding to lootings that were happening all over the place. So the police showed up about an hour after the, the, after the looting or after the break-in, which given the circumstances, I actually was kind of impressed with. Um, our alderman, uh, uh, Alderman Sue Garza, uh, was ter- terrific. Uh, she was there the next morning. She, she led a cleanup crew um, of folks from the neighborhood that helped clean up the entire community, including our store. Um, of which some of our members joined. Uh, so the community really rallied together. Um, I think the big problem here is, is one that needs to be resolved federally. I don't think it's an issue that can be solved at the state level. And that is the fact that um, as long as this remains federally illegal, or at least without, uh, without access to legitimate banking, it's very well known that these are predominantly all cash businesses. Right. And if something is an all cash business, that leaves them open as a target 
for, 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 for a break-in, for vandalism. Um, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that makes us one of the biggest targets is people know that there's likely to be a large supply of cash. You know, you compound that with the fact that, um, you know, there are only two or three banks, I believe, in the entire state of Illinois that are willing to, to bank cannabis businesses. Yep. None of those are based in the city of Chicago. Um, they're all in central state or downstate banks, which means that we can't have employees doing, you know, drops twice daily to their local branch. Um, to make sure that there's a smaller amount of cash on hand. Um, we have to wait until the banks are willing to send uh, a pickup vehicle. Um, in, 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 in many cases, it's, you know, it's, it's three and a half plus hours, right? Three or four hours or so uh, away. And so they're not willing to do that daily, certainly not multiple times a day. Um, they're willing to do that, you know, if you're lucky, twice a week, uh, which means you're likely to have even more cash on hand, which makes you even more of a target. Um, so the solution here is, Federal legalization and certainly access to banking at the federal level, um, which you know, which which would remove the the target on the backs of of these cannabis businesses around the country. And I just don't know what can be done here because I mean I just feel like one of the things that's not helpful at all is that you know I hear this story about the recovery effort and the the, the alderman, alderman actually Sugar actually came in. And we saw there was a cleanup effort, but I almost feel like if I asked you, were there any cameras, was there any follow-up on the story by any news outlets at all after the fact, or was it only when it actually happened? There's actually been quite a bit of follow-up. Okay. Um, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, no, there's, I mean, there's been, there's been multiple stories. Uh, uh, one of a uh, local news, one of the local news channels here, and uh, forgive me, I, I don't remember which one it was. Okay. Uh, so I don't want to misquote, but one of the local news channels came out, uh, it was about a week after the, um, the, the, the looting to report on, on uh, some of the recovery efforts in the neighborhood. And they, they, they interviewed our, uh, our regional manager here. They, 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 they videoed outside the store. Um, there's been other follow-up. Uh, the Sun-Times has done multiple articles. The Tribune's done multiple articles, uh, not just on our store, but on recovery from, from the looting more broadly, um, as well as within the cannabis industry. You cited the Weed Map story that was run last week, uh, which quoted, uh, you know, it quoted an article from the Sun-Times from a few weeks back. So I actually think there has been a decent amount of, of reporting and follow-up on this. That's good. Um, yeah, there, there's there's lots of there, there's lots of issues that we need to address here. I, I don't think the reporting on this in this case has been the issue. Um, and believe me, I am I am I am very <laughs> want to be critical of the of the press when it's deserved. Uh, I'm, but but you know credit where it's due. I actually think the coverage has been has been quite fair. Well, I would hope that the local portion of, of news would actually go ahead and work on it. So Tribune, Times and others would actually go ahead and do the thing, or at least, you know, showing a, a real spotlight on the community. But I guess from a national end, a major city like Chicago going through the issues they're going through. And the, the points are, there's, there's a uh, crime is rough. And I see a lot of people that are not, that are looking to go and leave Chicago because there's been some issues going on. And I, I would like, that's a beautiful city. And I just don't understand where, when you have these issues in certain, in certain cities, Regardless of who is in power, the point is is that there's a lack. Uh, you know, it's just the enforcement issues we have here. D businesses like yours, you know, and any of the cannabis businesses should not have been affected. But this, the opportunities to come in like this, I mean, you know, I know I understand that sometimes even with you know with some protests, they can be a little bit, they can turn violent. Not necessarily has to be this, but I can see where it happens. But again, you know, what is being done on local, state, federal end? To kind of you know confront and also the media needs to be there to go ahead and point this out so that policymakers are going to feel the pressure to do something about it that's where i'm coming from 
Um, sure, and I, and I understand that, but to, you know, to be fair, again, like yeah. I mean, Mayor Mayor Lori Lightfoot came and toured the dispensary the morning after we were raided, um, with our you know with our at the request of our aldermen. Yes, um, you know, she was there. Uh, that, that to me actually shows tremendous progress. I mean, I couldn't imagine five years ago the you know, the mayor of any major city yeah. touring a dispensary, right? Particularly when there's looting going on all over the city. There were dozens and dozens of businesses just along the Commercial Avenue corridor that we're located on mm-hmm. that had been looted the day the, the, the day before, the same day that we were looted. Um, and the mayor could have chosen any one of those businesses to go and visit. Now she did visit a number, then we weren't the only one. But a a a, a adult use recreational marijuana dispensary on the south side of Chicago was the first business that she visited that day. Um, and I think that shows tremendous progress, right? She listened, she was concerned, um, right? She wanted to know what we captured on, on security camera footage so that they could look into it. Um, there's been some follow-up there as well. I, I just, I, could, I couldn't see, you know, uh, uh, Marty Walsh in Boston doing something like that. Um, you know, I couldn't see uh, you know, the, the, the mayors in San Francisco or, or LA or some progressive cities doing something like that. Um, maybe today, but certainly not a few years ago. So I do think it shows some real progress that okay. you know we're being treated seriously as an industry, and we are viewed as an important part of the uh, the economic fabric of this of the city here in Chicago. And I think other you know we're starting to see other governors, other mayors um, follow suit. So you know I try and look at some of the bright side here, and I think I, I do see that as a, as a real sign of progress that you know we just would not have seen a few years ago. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that's going on. And we just need to be consistent across the board, across the nation. I want to see that Absolutely. more. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. what we got to have. And Absolutely. And, and look, and, and, and you know, kudos to Mayor Lightfoot for doing that. Yeah. Again, irrespective of anyone's personal politics, that was, you know, that was something that I don't think it took a lot of political guts to do, but, um, you know, it's certainly not within the realm of, of your sort of normal political calculus. Like, where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the pot store. Um, and hopefully, you know, other mayors and, you know, and other, you know, other executive, uh, you know, heads of cities and states around the country see that and, 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 it, and it gives them the political cover to, you know, to take this industry more seriously and to consider it just another part of the, of the, of the business and economic fabric of the community. And that's great because I like the fact that I can hear media that actually is you know, constructive and not, not just reporting on, oh, here's what's going on in Chicago. And it's all this negative press that I hear and I hear nothing that counteracts the, or contradicts the point, which there should be. And I would hope there would be more of and right. When it bleeds, it leads, right? I mean, the, the controversial oh stuff God, is, yeah. is what but, gets out there. But it's but gotten too far. If I got on my pulpit, it's tabloid. It is National Enquirer has more integrity today than any of the corporate media has these days. And it's it's shameful. And I don't well, know I'm why. Not, I'm not sure I go quite that far, but I, but I agree with the general the general point. Well, because I would have loved to have seen more stories about, about what happened the day after the looting than what happened in the looting itself. The, the support that we got from the right. community there was amazing. I mean, as I know, not just the mayor and the and, and, and the aldermen, but we had, you know, we had 50, 60 people or so yeah. just from the community who came out to help clean up, to sweep, to pick up garbage, um, right? They went inside and outside our store and picked up. They went inside and outside all the stores on Commercial Avenue. And it was a real just heartwarming display of a community coming together to support you know, to support to you know to support other members of the community to support the businesses in that community, um, and 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 it, and it strengthened our resolve as a business to get ourselves open as quickly as we can to continue supporting that community, especially down where we are on the far southeast side of Chicago, 
where there's just such a lack of service, right? I mean, this is one of those places that's, that's practically a food desert, right? There are very few supermarkets around there. There's very little access to a lot of the, the types of retail and services that are available on the north side of the city yeah. um, and in more affluent parts of the city. And, you know, we, you know, we, we have a very professional and beautiful store um, that, we, that we feel that, if, that, that folks can feel proud coming into and, and, and be proud to have as a, as, a, as, a, as a member of that community. Right, right. And the fact that they turned out with that kind of support just really strengthens our resolve to, to get back open and to continue serving that community and to be and to continue to be a part of it all right so once again uh website is for number four frontventures.com and uh, obviously um you know chris i know you do a lot of great work um if you want to just take a quick moment we're, we are literally out of time but take 30 seconds to go ahead and just tell people what they should know what's going on latest with forefront and what you could tell people how to go ahead and you know follow up with you and what your company's been doing Sure. So, you know, we, uh, we we completed a merger last year with a company called Canex out of Washington, mm-hmm. uh, which really boosted our capabilities on the uh, cultivation and particularly the processing side of things. So what, one thing that we're really proud of is, you know, we've become, we believe, is one of the most efficient producers of infused products at scale in the country. Uh, we are the, you know, the leading producer in the state of Washington. We've got about 8% of the Washington wholesale market, seven of the top 10 selling edible brands uh, in the state of Washington. And we are gearing up to bring um, many of those brands to states like uh, California, Illinois, Massachusetts. Uh, we're going to be building some you know, some really innovative uh, automated production facilities in, in those states, uh, the likes of which do not exist in cannabis today. Uh, we think that's going to help make uh, these products much more available to the masses, bring pricing down, um, and so we're really excited about uh, our, our CPG capabilities at scale, um, and we're excited about running you know, great retail stores. We think our mission-branded stores are fairly unique. Um, they reflect the advocacy roots of myself and some of my, uh, my team here, um, and it's, you know, it's really a, it's an experience that folks can have that goes beyond just being able to buy branded cannabis products, and, and we're yeah. proud of that. So you know, folks can find out more about where our, our locations are at ForefrontVentures.org. Uh, uh, or .com, sorry. Um, uh, you can also go to missioncan.com to find out uh, more about our mission stores. Um, and uh, if you happen to be in Washington, check out any of our uh, BLD, our Bright Leaf branded products uh, out in Washington State, uh, soon in California, as well as uh, Massachusetts and Illinois. Thanks so much, Chris Crane, founder, founder and president of Four Front Ventures. That's number four, frontventures.com. Once again, uh, stock ticker and LTC markets is FFNTF. Chris, thanks for joining us here on Blunt Business. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great discussion. My pleasure. Really, really thoughtful, real thought-provoking. I think we got a lot of great information out there. Folks, thanks for listening to The Blunt Business. We'll talk to you next time. expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.